0: Amen. Who needs air conditioning? I stood back there and watched you all as you sang, listened to you. You are ready to worship, right? Okay. That's what we're here to do. So now let's continue. God's Word, John chapter 1. It is wonderful to see each of you here this morning, here at the Branch Church, Um We will do our very best to have the AC back on next week. You can pro- we can promise you that. But... Um, But again, who needs it? Uh, Our brothers and and sisters in Maracaibo, Venezuela, I've been there on a Lord's Day. Believe you me, they would relish in this. They would relish in this. So let's do that. Let's worship our Lord. Sermon title this morning, The Word Made Flesh. The main point I think we see this morning in verses 14 through 18 is this. The incarnated Christ demands that we proclaim the word of Christ. The incarnated Christ, Jesus, in human flesh, demands that we proclaim through sharing his gospel, through living out his gospel, portraying the life of Christ everywhere we go, that we proclaim the word of Christ. What are the greatest events in human history? Some would say this morning, the invention of air conditioning. But as you think about that, what are the greatest events in human history? A Google search this week revealed a number of lists which carries with it obvious self-preserving opinions. But peer research in 2016 asked Americans to name the 10 most significant historic events of their lifetimes. Here are the top five in order. September 11, the Obama election, the Tech revolution, JFK assassination, and the Vietnam War. Consider all those Each of the five that I just read out. In each of them, there is certainly a, a level of death and destruction, of hopelessness. Throughout human history, the Church of Jesus Christ has had and will continue to have until he returns the opportunity to proclaim the greatest event in human history the event the incarnation of the word of God. My prayer is that through this sermon and the word of Christ proclaimed this morning, you will stand and proclaim. We just finished singing a song in which the words, well, I'm going to ask the question, are you fully satisfied in Christ? As you sit there this morning, You consider your life and everything that is in it, your desires, everything in the desires of your heart, your mind, everything that you think about each day, right now. Are you fully satisfied in Christ? My hope is that each of us, each of us can firmly stand and proclaim that Christ is my all in all. Listen to these words taken from the hymn, Thy way, not mine, O Lord. Take thou my cup, and it with joy or sorrow fill, as best to thee may seem. Choose thou my good and ill, not mine, not mine, the choice in things both great or small. Be thou my guide, my strength, my wisdom, and my all. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that even in this setting, at this time, on this Lord's Day morning, we can gather before you and worship you. We can gather as your people, as you beckon us, as you command us to do on this, your day, to worship you, to give you what it is, that thing, that service, that activity, that function that you desire the uttermost to be worshiped. So I pray, Lord. I pray, remove every distraction as we study your word, as we hear your word taught by you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you you teach us. You convict us where it is needed. You comfort us where it is needed. But I pray, above all, that yes, you grow us. You grow us to the point where we can absolutely, not just say, but proclaim that Jesus, you are our all in all. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, this morning we reach the end of the prologue of the gospel according to John, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. This is the theological statement of John concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Here, continuing through John's gospel, we will begin to see the narrative that John writes concerning the life of Christ and what he viewed, what he saw, what he lived beside the person of Jesus Christ as he walked this earth in his earthly ministry. Verse 14 that we will see this morning is the thesis statement of the entire gospel according to John. Let's read John 1:14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. First, in verse 14, we see this, the glory of Christ revealed. The doctrine of divine transcendence tells us this, that God is set apart from his creation. He is set apart from the created order, the plants, the birds, the trees, the rest, mankind. God is set apart. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 31, the prophet proclaims the greatness of our God, Listen to these words found in that passage in uh, Isaiah 40, verses 21 through 23. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. God, then, sits above the circle of the earth. He sits on his throne and rules and reigns over the entire universe. All of creation, to include mankind, is subject to his sovereign rule, reign, and authority. We also, though, read in Scripture that God is imminent he is close to us. Hear these words from Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So which is it? Is it that God, holy as he is, perfection, set apart, sits enthroned, looking down upon his creation, ruling and reigning and sovereign rule and authority? Or... Is it that he is imminent, that he is close? It's both. It's both. God does not leave one to be at the other. But let me caution you quickly. I'll do this quickly. If you ever find yourself in a local church where a pastor is standing up here and tries to tell you that God is some something that can just sit beside you, nestle up against you, and just be your buddy, Leave. Leave immediately. See, we must hold God as holy, holy, set above all, set apart from all. Yet we know this, that because of the incarnation of the word of God, he is also near, and he can be that loving father. But do not supplant the need for a loving daddy and forget the holiness of a holy God. We see most clearly the desire of God to be near us in verse 14 here in John chapter 1. The incarnation of the word of God, the word became flesh. Paul in Romans 1 verse 3 declares that the prophets and the holy scriptures declared concerning his, the father's son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Jesus did not simply fill a human body and in so doing take the place of that body's heart, soul, and mind. He took on everything that is inherent in being human, yet he did so without surrendering anything of his deity. This is the Son of God. Yes, birth from Mary, but he is the Son of God. Thereby, he is God in human flesh. He did not, he does not, he will not set aside his deity just because he wears the flesh of humanity. The word of God becoming flesh then dwelt among us. This phrase is the same used in the Greek to mean pitch a tent. Now, what do you think of when you think about the word tent? Not permanent, right? Temporary. Temporary you go camping, you pitch your tent, you give yourself a roof and four walls for that moment, for that time, for that weekend, then what do you do? Work week comes, you pack up the tent, you come back home. This is not the tent being referred to here. There is, this is no temporary resting place. This is the same word used in a revelation to describe the eternal tent brought by the person of Jesus Christ. This phrase is also closely related to the Greek word for the ancient tabernacle in Israel, itself a tent as seen in Exodus chapter 26. With this statement, John declares that Jesus is the new tabernacle, temple for God's people. Just as God was worshiped in the Israelite tabernacle ceremony of worship and sacrifice, if we desire to worship the holy God as we do today, we must do so in and through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to worship God than through Jesus Christ. The Word of God becoming fleshed then reveals the glory of Christ as the Son of God. Jesus fulfills the old covenant tabernacle temple. Under the old covenant, God's glory was resided in In the tabernacle and temple, you see that in Exodus 40, 1 Kings chapter 8, John, James, and Peter, John himself with James and Peter, witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus when his glorious light, the light of his deity, was revealed in Matthew 17. John and others experienced the miraculous signs and wonders that Christ himself performed and revealed his glory in so doing as he ministered on this earth. But can we see his glory now? Can we experience his glory now in this present age? Verses 15 and 18, the glory of Christ proclaimed. At the end of verse 4, we see two truths concerning Jesus. First, the only son from the Father. Second, full of grace and truth. The word only, the Greek word it means one of a kind, unique. Thereby, Christ is the only, unique, one-of-kind Son of God. John shares this important truth and doctrine concerning Jesus, the doctrine of the incarnation of the Word of God, the most attacked doctrine in Scripture. Why might this be? Why would the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ be the most attacked doctrine? Because you must then say that Jesus is God, that he is the son of God. Consider other world religions and their take concerning Jesus. Islam, they profess Jesus was born of a virgin, was to be revered, respected, was a prophet, ascended to heaven in bodily form and will come again as a Muslim. Hinduism, they profess Jesus was a holy man and a wise teacher, is a God Buddhism they profess Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher why does it matter then that we profess the full person of Christ to include that he is the son of God when we profess the gospel of Christ it matters greatly because of that fact People walking around Milledgeville today very likely in this setting claim Jesus in some way, form, or fashion. They very likely have an understanding of who Jesus is. Possibly not, but by and large, they do in this city. But do they really know who Christ is? Listen. Listen those of us who know Christ, who have been given the gospel of Christ, who have been given new life in Christ, we must proclaim the fullness of Christ when sharing his gospel. Jesus is the fullness complete, revealed of grace and truth. First, grace. What is grace? The unmerited favor of God. You are given that which you absolutely do not deserve. Above all is your salvation. Ultimately here, Jesus revealed in human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice required by the Father. Last week, we looked at these two verses. Look again in John 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How are they born of God? In and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Truth. There is one standard of truth, and it is found in Christ alone. The full truth concerning Jesus is required when sharing his gospel. Also, the truth concerning a relationship with God. Jesus lived for eternity in perfect relationship with the Father. It is this relationship that is offered by the grace of God in and through Jesus. We know this. We know this as followers of Christ. When mother, father, husband, wife, children go away Betray us. Leave us. We as followers of Christ have Christ. We have this perfect relationship that the Father and Son have had together for all eternity and will have together for all eternity. That is a relationship not only that we should invest in, live fully in, thrive in, but also should be desperate to share should be desperate to proclaim. In everything that we do, we should seek to proclaim and talk about this relationship that we have in Christ that no earthly relationship can come close to. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Listen, students, especially, a new school year has begun. Thousands, right? Hundreds, thousands, yeah, have come on campus. Coming from every area, many from Atlanta. I can tell you what they're learning in Atlanta. It is your job. You are here. God has ordained that you be here for this time to teach them, to show them, to to reveal to them the complete ignorance of their worldly philosophy and the elemental spirits of the world that they rest on, that they try to seek and achieve and grab hold of and grasp and and live in and relish in and desire. It is your job to reveal something better, someone better, the person of Christ. Reading on, verse 9, Colossians 2, For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. This was the truth proclaimed by John the Baptist. So where can we see his glory now? Where can we experience the glory of Christ now? 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6, we read this. In their case, those who are being blinded by the evil one, those who are refusing the gospel of Christ, Paul writes, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His glory has shone in your heart as a believer of Christ Jesus. At the point and the moment of your regeneration, Ushered into you is the glory of Christ. You get to live in the glory of Christ. You get to then proclaim the glory of Christ. When we proclaim the spoken word concerning Jesus, his glory is revealed. So, again, why? We have the greatest, most perfect relationship in the history of mankind, in our relationship with Christ. We get to Know and live in and experience the glory of Christ. Why won't we share Christ? Those two things alone should compel us, should drive us to proclaim the word of Jesus Christ. Verses 16 and 17. The glory of the grace of God. Matthew Henry once said this concerning the grace of God. Our receivings by Christ are all summed up in this one word, grace. We have received even grace, a gift so great, so rich, so invaluable, the goodwill of God toward us and the good work of God in us. But in order to truly, fully understand the grace of God, of God as we read here in John 1 at the end of verse 16 grace upon grace in order to fully understand that we must first fully understand the wrath of God against our sin the wretchedness of our sin the, the depravity that is human nature the law of God given by Moses was not a display of the grace of God but was in fact the the, the demand of holiness required by the holy god the law was designed by god to reveal the unrighteousness of mankind so that the need for a savior could be revealed romans 3:19 through 24 paul wrote this now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at John 1, 16. For from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, the fullness of grace and truth, perfected grace, perfected truth, from the fullness of Christ, we all have received grace upon grace. This expresses the superabundance of grace displayed by God toward mankind. Praise God, there is still his common grace over mankind. Regardless of how stupid people may be, how ignorant their actions may be, how ignorant they lead a country, how ignorant they do this and do that, Understand this, the common grace of God, his hand is still upon mankind. Oh, if it were lifted. Oh, if it were lifted. Completely removed. His grace, though, this grace upon grace, superabundance of grace, unending grace, renewing grace, minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, sustaining us, building us up, carrying us, allowing us to see the better that is Christ in all, in all, this is most especially displayed by God toward believers. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 8, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. R.C. Sproul said this, We need to do more than sing amazing grace. We need to be repeatedly amazed by grace. Does that make sense? So often, we sing about his grace. We did so this morning. We sing about who he is, about what he has done. But are we? Are we truly amazed by his grace? Are we? Listen, I confess as one who allows the busyness of the world, the busyness of the work week, of the work day, to cloud, to get in the way of, to even seemingly push out my amazement with the grace of God. It is, after all, that grace that raised you from death. You are a dead man, dead woman, walking, and it is Christ, God, through Christ, who breathed into your dead bones, your dead hearts, and alivened you to Christ. That alone should hold us in amazement every day of our life in this present age. Are you repeatedly amazed by God's grace? Look at your life. Even those of you who are much younger than me in this room, consider your life. Consider what God has done in your life to this point, to this day. Consider where you are in life. Consider what he's done to your family's life. And my life, my wife. Jennifer, her breast cancer. Is that grace upon grace? Yes. Yes, it was. Why? Why? Because it took her, it took us to a hospital in Atlanta where she lay on a bed and the opportunity to share the gospel with nurse after nurse after nurse, with fellow patient after patient after patient. That is the grace of God. My mom, with ALS, struggling, laying there, can't speak, can't swallow, can't move. Her mind is still there. Is that the grace of God? Yes, it is. Why? Because by the grace of God, that did not tarry. That did not linger. That did not last very long. And God took her by his grace and removed her from that into his presence my dad got covid had a stroke can't speak still to this day a little bit here and there but really truly can't speak is that the grace of god is that grace upon grace yes it is because in that it has allowed him the opportunity to sit there, to read his word, to pray, and to proclaim to us when we were last there visit him, say, please pray. Pray for my sister and her husband that they be saved. I didn't hear that before now. That is grace upon grace. Is Christ your all in all? Can you truly look at everything in your life everything that has occurred in your life, and say Christ is there. Christ is there. That he is my all in all, that everything else can pass. I've told a couple of you that in that moment when Jennifer had her breast cancer, I had to come to not just the realization that she may die, that God may take her home, but that I was okay with that. That I could proclaim verbally to others that I'm okay if you take her, God. I'm okay if God kills her. How? How? I can tell you it's not easy. I can tell you it's not a reflex. I can tell you it takes work, it takes effort. It takes long-lasting prayer, long-lasting reading and studying of the word of God, long-lasting conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's why we have MCs. It's why we have DNAs, that we can gather together outside and from the Lord's day to gather together once again to share life together, to live life together to encourage one another, to admonish one another, to love one another, so that when that day comes, if it hasn't already, so that when that day comes, you can stand, although you may be weeping, and you can say, Christ is my all in all. The greatest grace of all is the saving grace of God. When was the last time you shared that? There are opportunities. Opportunities abound. We were at our men's Bible study yesterday morning. An elderly gentleman walked up, proclaimed to us a few things, a couple of which were this. Every morning I pray, that this day I will be a better person than I was yesterday. No. No. One of us should have gotten up and chased him down in the parking lot and proclaimed to him, no, sir, that's not what it's about. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about resting in Christ, living in Christ, abiding in Christ, enjoying Christ, the fullness of joy, grace, and truth in Christ. opportunity abounds every day of our lives to proclaim and share the gospel of Christ to share this saving grace of God that has been given to us as we close this morning do you know Christ do you know Jesus Christ have you surrendered to Christ have you come to that moment where you proclaim to Jesus save me There's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. I am a sinner that stands against you. Have you proclaimed that? Have you surrendered to Christ as your Lord and your Savior? By all means, this week, because of the incarnation of the Word of God, because of the fullness that is Christ Jesus, by all means, purpose it in your minds, in your hearts, each of us, that we will, this week, with someone, somewhere in our life, communicate this perfect, blessed message of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to proclaim this truth. We have the opportunity to understand this truth, to live in this truth, that we may proclaim this truth. We do certainly have opportunity given by you, by your grace, Father, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. I pray, I pray that we as your people would truly live as your people, that we would truly abide in you, Christ, such that we can proclaim that you are our everything, our everything, that we do live in faith, that we proclaim forsaking all I take him, forsaking everything else, forsaking all, that Jesus, you are supreme, that you reign supreme in my life. May we proclaim that. May we live that. May we share that. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.